Hello and welcome to On the Front Porch with us, your weekly Disney podcast. I'm Tony Pascal. I'm Josh Whitehead, and thanks for listening, guys. We are uh, even more excited about this one, or at least I am. We are doing my favorite movie, or my favorite Disney movie, and one of my favorite movies, period, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I am so freaking excited for this one, Tony. Yeah, I really enjoy this movie. Uh, I think it's funny, and I think it's interesting, and I think we're going to have a good conversation for sure. Oh, yeah. So, the I, I guess I should explain why this is my favorite Disney movie. A, the scenery in this movie is freaking beautiful. Like, I, I think that it's made in such a way that it does the city of Paris justice. I think it's pretty. I think there's a lot of, like, focus on architecture in this movie. Yeah specifically with the cathedral. The other thing that I really... I, I think the main reason why I love this movie so much is because of the music. Alan Menken did the music for this one, and my Alan God... Alan Menken! Yeah. And, and like we talked about him before, this is like the grand era of Alan Menken. This is a 1996 movie. He he really just knocked it out of the park with this movie. And it's it is distinct it is a very specific separate thing from other disney movies it's very operatic and musically driven broadway sound that kind of makes it different from other disney movies on top of the fact that it's really 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 dark and i just love that about this movie oh yeah super (laughs) dark super sad like definitely one of the sadder darker movies the good news is i uh i am Last on the last movie, I was drinking coffee because I had I was a serious one. Uh, this one, I'm drinking beer because I am the comedic relief for this movie. <laughs> yeah, and I'm drinking Coke because I need the caffeine because I'm the the serious one of this movie. <laughs> so we do have some pretty cool stuff for you guys in this one. But Tony, I understand that you have a rant that you want to give before we get started. Yeah, I think it's going to be important for us to before we like talk even anything about the movie uh we should talk about what the phrase gypsy means and like right like where it comes from and like why it's not that great so this is a derogatory term it's used largely like it mostly focuses and like is used to talk about a specific group of people called the romani the roma people right so the the roma are a group from uh south india and like sort of left in the 12th century but gypsy is sort of like a catch-all term for anyone with brown skin in parts of europe during the 12th and 13th century up through probably the 14th and 15th so like shakespeare is writing about gypsies as well but it definitely is like meant to talk about a group of like marginalized people with darker skin who come from another place. It's definitely an otherizing term, and it's definitely a derogatory term. Definitely. And I think it's really interesting is that in this movie, I think there was a, like a level of we understand that this is a little bit of a derogatory term, or that mm-hmm. this is a derogatory term. I think they didn't really understand the extent, or they might not have used it as much as they did. But the only people who use the word gypsy are non like are non-Romani people like the, like the people who are, it's used against them like get those gypsies or whatever you know like gypsies yeah. are evil Esmeralda uses the word twice in the movie and she's the only one who is like of the the Roma people uh Romanis who does use that uh and she uses it sort of ironically or like quoting somebody else so she'll say gypsies don't do well indoors kind of thing within stone walls yeah and then the other time is when she is singing the prayer and she says you know i don't know if you'd listen to a gypsy like me basically yeah and it's sort of used like ironically i am voting that like unless we are quoting somebody we're going to like quoting somebody who's saying the word gypsy i'm voting that we use roma to talk about the people or romani to talk about the the group of people during this episode i will do my best but it might be hard the uh, it is it's like they're i know like they're 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 referred to as that for the whole movie but we should make a conscious effort for sure sure 
Well, and the the other thing about gypsies in in this movie is, like Tony said, it refers to the Romani people, but where the term comes from is Egyptians. A gypsy comes from the word Egypt because originally they just believed that all gypsies came from Egypt, that they were nomads that traveled from Egypt and were form, formerly slaves in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it's a derogatory term because... They were kind of lumping all of those people together, even though the majority of them came from the Middle East and from India. So it's it is a derogatory term, and we're gonna do our best not to use it. But yeah, you're right. Like in this movie, they consistently say that they are witches. They they do magics. They are thieves. All these things, and it's just because or it it is a form of discrimination because of their skin color, ultimately. Yeah, and, and you can see this also in other places. So, like, I'm a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and yeah. one of the characters, like, they actually, they say she's, a, like, she's Romani. They say that in the character, it, like, in the description, like, when we're learning about her backstory. But they also, like, refer to her as a gypsy as, like, a shorthand to, like, let you know she's, like, into the dark arts and magic Yeah, she, and she's into the occult. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a common misconception. It's just something, and it, we even see in the movie that they kind of play into that for the sake of, I don't know, making themselves feel better or, or maybe trying to scare the people that are discriminating against them. I'm not sure, but we do see them play into it. Nonetheless, it's super good movie. I am excited to talk about it. First of all, like I said, Alan Menken did the music. Directors are Kirk Wise and Gary Truesdale. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, so that's a pretty good team. Yeah, There are some great actors in this movie. Tom Holchi did Quasimodo, Tony Jay as Frollo, uh, Paul Candle as Clopin, Kevin Klein was Phoebus. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah you, like you hear his voice and you're like, I know that person. But Kevin Klein, Demi Moore was Esmeralda's voice. She had a separate person singing for her. Uh, yeah, I knew that one. Jim Cummings what, played one of the guards. Hell yeah, Jim Cummings! Uh, We're a big J- fan of Jim Cummings here. Yeah, Jason Alexander played Hugo, one of the, the grotesques. Uh-huh. And one of the, I just found this, because I, I heard his voice in the movie, and I was like, I know that voice. It, one of the guards at the beginning of the movie, I heard his voice, and I was like, who is that? And uh-huh. it turns out that it's Bill Fagerbakey, the guy who plays the voice of Patrick in Spongebob, and he's also Marshall's dad in How I Met Your Mother. Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah, I heard his voice, and I was like, man, that is an unmistakable voice. That sure sounds like Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> this is before before that movie came out, or before that show came out, either. Oh, yeah. Right before. No, yeah, but nonetheless, I, I was like, I, I heard it, and I was like, oh, man, I had no idea who was in this movie. Yeah, and so I also... I have good news, Tony. Okay. We, we have return of the what if game. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you that listened to the Little Mermaid episode, we did the what if game, which is basically where there were a lot of people that were considered for the movie for some of these roles, but it either they were cast and it didn't work out or they just had other things going on. So I've got four for this one that will be split up throughout the movie, and uh, I want you to imagine them in in those roles. But I do have some cool trivia about the movie. Kevin Kline was, as I said, played Phoebus, and he was having trouble getting into the role. So when they were recording, they gave Kevin Kline a sword while recording. (laughs) I like that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They also named his horse Achilles for the sole reason... Of wanting to hear Kevin Klein say Achilles heel. Achilles heel. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the only reason they named that that horse Achilles. The gargoyles in the movie, uh, they're not actually gargoyles, I'll get to that in a second, but they're named Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. Victor and Hugo because the book was written by Victor Hugo, and Laverne after Laverne Andrews of the Andrews Sisters, a boogie woogie group in the 1930s. Makes mm. sense. Yeah. Contemporaries. Yeah. It's set in January of 1482, 
with the Feast of Fools, it was the, or almost, it, it wasn't quite, it was still rated G, but it was almost the first MPAA PG movie since The Black Cauldron, 1985. Because it was so oh. dark. Because of the all the fucking sexual... fucking Black Cauldron. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> the gargoyles, again, they are not gargoyles, but rather grotesques. And grotesques are statues of demons to scare off evil spirits. Gargoyles are... One One of them is seen in the movie, the one where Frollo is falling to his death and, like, holding on to this gargoyle head. Okay. The mouth is open because gargoyles have water flow. They're, they're specifically there to let water flow off the rooftops. Oh. Grotesques are statues. Statues by themselves. So gargoyles have water runoff, and it's from the French gargile, which means to gargle. Oh. Because water. Huh. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I feel like my childhood and watching the TV show The Gargoyles uh, did not prepare me for this. No. Because <laughs> those are also grotesques. <coughs> I'm probably still going to refer to them in this movie as gargoyles because it's, it's hard not to call them gargoyles. Yeah. So I also, in preparation for this movie, guys, I... This was one of the first ones I wanted to do, but I wanted to be sure that I had read the book before we had done this episode. I am finally done. After 10, 10 to 12 weeks later, I'm finally done. <laughs> and I, I just want to give you a brief overview of what happened in the novel so that you can kind of compare as we go along. Because really, the novel is nothing like the movie, period. It is different in so freaking many ways. So again, the, the novel was written by Victor Hugo in 1831, set around the same time, 1482. And in the, in the book, Quasimodo plays a deaf hunchback. He's deaf because A, he is deformed, and B, because he's a bell ringer. So being up there ringing those bells all the time, it's easy to understand that he would be deaf. He's a deaf hunchback, and we find out at the end of the book that he was actually switched at birth with baby Esmeralda by the gypsies. So Esmeralda is actually not a gypsy. And Clopin stole Esmeralda from Quasimodo's quote-unquote mother and replaced him with, or replaced her with Quasimodo. So in this movie, you kind of see, you see the skin tone difference, but Imagine if those roles were reversed. It's supposed to be a kind of irony at the end of this movie, that their roles were reversed, but still their fates are intertwined. So Phoebus is not at all like he is in this movie. He is a, an asshole. He is the, the captain of the king's archers and engaged to a woman named Fleur de Lis, but he tricks Esmeralda to thinking that he's in love with her to get into her pants. He ends up... At the end of the movie... My name ends... means sun god. <laughs> yeah. He ends up hating her at the end of the movie and getting married to Florida Lee and living a very unhappy life. We'll get to why he ends up hating her. There's a thing with Frollo in this movie where he's, he's the judge. He's like a, a political figure. In the book, he is the archdeacon. And so I think they did that to like separate him from the church a little bit in the movie. But... He is basically also in love with Esmeralda. Basically, all the characters in this movie are in love with Esmeralda, except for Phoebus, who is in lust with Esmeralda. And then Jehan Frollo is Frollo's 16-year-old brother. He's a drunk fool. He, uh, at one point in the novel, foolishly climbs up the bell tower, and Quasimodo throws him over the, the edge to his death. Then there is Clopin. He is the leader of the gypsies, as we know in this movie. Romani. He's made to be a bigger deal in the book. And lastly, there's a character called Pierre Gringoire, who we don't see at all in the movie, who is in love with Esmeralda, but she's in love with Phoebus. And so he, at one point in the novel, stumbles into the Court of Miracles by accident. This is early on in the book. He stumbles into the Court of Miracles by accident. And Clopin says he can either be hanged or he can marry a gypsy to keep the secret. And Roma. so he elects, he's like, okay, no problem, I want to marry Esmeralda. And Esmeralda is forced to marry him by Clopin, but she is in love with Phoebus, so she doesn't let him touch her. 
so it's like a fake marriage as far as Esmeralda is concerned. So those are all the characters. Basically what happens in the book is at the beginning of the, the book, it's the same thing. It's the, the Feast of Fools. They crown the, uh, not the King of Fools, but the Pope of Fools is what it's called in the, in the book. And it's, it's basically the entirely same scene. It's a horrifying description of like people laughing at him and throwing things at him. And he's like horrified because he can't hear anything. <laughs> so Frollo gets upset, sends him back to the bell tower. And after already seeing Esmeralda do her little naked shimmy thing, Frollo sends men to kidnap her. And Quasimodo follows her. Phoebus also follows her and assumes that Quasimodo is trying to kill her. So Phoebus quote-unquote, saves her from Quasimodo. And she also hates Quasimodo. Quasimodo is publicly flogged in the center of the square, and, it, and after he's publicly flogged, he calls for water. Esmeralda gives him some, and he thinks that she's in love with him. Frollo, later on in the story, Frollo stabs Phoebus out of jealousy and blames Esmeralda. Esmeralda is like tries to deny it, but she can't really go against the word of the Archdeacon. So she is taken to the gallows, and Quasimodo swings down from the tower and saves her, much like he does in the movie. Frollo tells Gringoire that the Court of Parliament has revoked her right to sanctuary. Gringoire goes and tells Clopin the gypsies storm the cathedral. And this is the really funny part of the book. Roma. Yeah, Roma. This is the really funny part of the book. Quasimodo, having been raised by Frollo, thinks that the Roma are there to hurt Esmeralda. So he fights back the Roma who are trying to really save her. Quasimodo Drag. thinks that the king's men are there to help her. So he hands her over to the king's men. And then Frollo offers her one more chance. He quote-unquote saved her, so he offers her one more chance. And she says no, so she is hanged, and he goes to the top of the bell tower with Quasimodo, overlooks her hanging, and is laughing from the top of the bell tower, and Quasimodo throws him over to his death, much like he did with his brother. At the end of the book, Quasimodo goes to this graveyard where all of, like, the people who were publicly hanged are buried. He goes to the graveyard and holds her body until he dies, and... Like, 18 months later, somebody goes and opens the tomb where they are, and their bodies crumble to dust. And that's the end of the book. So. And the reason, really that, inter- the reason that Phoebus hated uh, Esmeralda and got married to Fleur de Lis was because he believed that she had actually tried to kill him. Oh. So, this is, like, really funny. I read this book in college. <laughs> Uh, and don't remember it. So, like, when we were first talking about, like, doing this, Josh was like, yeah, I'm gonna read the book. And I was like, yeah, I think Yowza read the book. I think <laughs> we should talk to him. Yeah. And I called Yowza, and he was like, no, I didn't read that book. You you read that book, Tony. And I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I knew one of us did, I guess. Well, he read Les Mis, and I guess that's what I was thinking about. But, which is also a Victor Hugo. And so, like... I remember parts of this. There's something about a shoe, like, in a hobble. Like, I don't really remember it very well, though. Uh, <laughs> I read the whole book in, like, three days, and it's, like, a big book, and I, like... It is a very big book. It was, like, in the summer of first or second year of college, and I don't remember any of it. So, <laughs> I remember it being very different now that, like, you talk about it. Like, some of this sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. Well, the uh, whole thing with Pierre Gringoire is unmistakable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the part that I definitely remembered, and I remember something about a shoe in a in a crazy lady's house or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember much about it, but I thought it was really funny that I like literally thought that someone else had read this book, and that's how well I remembered it. <laughs> well, I read it, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's it for my trivia. Minus the what-if game, which we'll do as the movie goes along. So what we'll have you do real fast is go watch the movie and pause. Alright. Hopefully you, you pause. Paused. Uh, don't make them pause again, Tony. That's 
they have no reason to pause again. <laughs> I remembered this week, though. I uh, hold the power. Pause, <laughs> pause, pause! <laughs> okay. So, this movie is full of big themes, Tony. What, what, are, what are some major themes that you pick up? I learned a lot about the amount of lava that is kept on top of churches in yeah. Paris. <laughs> it is an outrageous amount of lava. I don't know why they they need that much lava on top of their churches, but they really, really do. <laughs> yeah, it's important to create a lake of fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I the the main ones that I picked up were this theme of monster versus man. The the bells of Notre Dame, the song at the beginning, the intro song, kind of sets up this theme of like who is a monster and who is a man. The song like goes through this Quasimodo's story, and at the very like his at the beginning, story. yeah, his backstory. And at the beginning of the song, he says, "I'll tell you a story of a man and a monster," and kind of leaves it to you decide at the end of the song who is which of these people is the monster and which of these is the man. And yeah. the idea is that a like a normal quote unquote looking man with sin is more of a monster than a deformed man without sin and so that that's kind of like a, a recurring theme through this movie is like we, we see like a lot of corruption in the political system or in really what it is is the the religious system in paris at this time because there is a lot of church corruption at this time also uh, basically every time we talk about fire is another theme that i picked up fire equals sin for frollo hmm. because at, even in in the song Hellfire, he's like, this fire is turning me to sin. And then from that point on, he's just burning everything and not really giving a shit anymore. Yeah, he he is totally overtaken by crazy. Yeah, and for that matter, it's kind of like a, a almost a, a Nazi kind of idealism. Because as most of you know, one of the, the things that the Nazis did beside attacking Jews and homosexuals, they also attacked gypsies. So, they there, there's like a, a lot of racism going on in this movie, and that's another yep. theme that I picked up. So, so go ahead. when we start uh, our very first introduction to Quasimodo, like obviously we hear the bells at the beginning. Bells are like the heartbeat of the city. The but our first city. like introduction yeah. to the character Quasimodo is where he's like helping a bird learn to fly, and it's adorable. And like he's like, I nobody wants to be cooped up here forever. Go on, fly, fly, little birdie. And and that's like a really great like moment. We see them as like a caring person, totally different from the the book. <laughs> yeah, and and so like the the next thing that we see after uh, first of all the bells of Notre Dame, the intro song, is such a beautiful song. It's like just a great, amazing song. For the record, I have this album pretty much just playing constantly in my car. <laughs> so, like... Who is a monster and who is a man? Okay. You're butchering. No. Of Notre Dame. Okay. All right, Tommy. We got a podcast to do. So... I picked up that the the gargoyles, the grotesques, are like his split personalities. Like he he's certainly imagining this, but I kind of picked them up as split personalities. What do you think? Yeah, it, it's really funny. I really like the gargoyles a lot. They are hilarious, especially Jason um, Alexander. Gotta love Jason Alexander, man. They're they're all really good. I actually, so yeah, Hugo, Victor, and and Laverne, Laverne like made me laugh the most at the beginning because she's like fighting these birds off of her face while she's talking <laughs> <laughs> do you mind <laughs> i'm trying to have a word with the boy <laughs> yeah she made me laugh the most at the beginning i i actually really think she's funny but yeah hugo is like the the like short fat one who's like kind of like an asshole uh, he's very like confident like new york cabbie kind of guy yeah. uh, <laughs> and then you got victor who's like the tall like uh, academic type yeah yeah philosophical kind of feller uh and then laverne is like just like the motherly kind of figure i guess 
Yeah, and, and, and more, like, compassionate, I think. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. I, I think that in that way, they kind of represent parts of himself, and he's kind of, like, seeing, using these grotesques as a way to express himself and, like, talk to himself. And throughout the movie, like, people keep walking in on him with these things, and he's, like, moving them around. He's, like, picking them up and moving them in other places of the <laughs> of his little bell tower and, like, pretending that they're moving on his own. That's how I'm imagining this. He's just this crazy man living in a bell tower, just picking up these things, moving them, and talking to them. And making them talk. <laughs> yeah, no, he's for sure crazy. Yeah, uh... and, like, I, I keep having people show up and be like, who are you talking to? These are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I like that, like, the first time we see Froyo, Fro, Froyo, oh Froyo, Froyo, because there's double L's, Frollo, <laughs> <laughs> first time we see Frollo, uh, like, up in the bell tower, he's like, can stone talk, and he's, and he's like, no, master, no, you're right. I also really <laughs> like the, the alphabet that Frollo makes him recite. Yeah. A, abomination. B, <laughs> blaspheme. C, contrition. D, damnation. E, eternal, eternal damnation. damnation. <laughs> I also wrote that down. Definitely uh, the only Disney movie with the word damnation and eternal damnation in it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, that's one of the reasons why they wanted to make it a PG movie is because they, this was the, like, only Disney movie to use somewhat curse words like hell and damn. So, like, you've got that, but still, only rated G. The other thing about this is that Frollo is, like I said, he's played by Tony J. But part one, and actually part two of my four-part what-if game, Tony. Okay. Uh, I want you to, to think of, just think of two people that you would have rather had play Frollo. What, what, what two people come to mind for you? Man, it would be pretty badass to have, like, the guy who plays Snape. What's his name? Rick. What's it? Whatever his name. The guy who plays Snape would be a good choice for, for Frollo. Sure. I honestly can't think of it right now. What is it? I don't remember. Rick <laughs> oh something or another. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, that's it. Sure. Uh, he'd be a good choice. He's and <laughs> who else would be a good choice? I could see the uh, guy who plays Scar doing a good job. Okay, here. well, n- neither of those are the ones that oh. were what-ifs. So, it's our favorite British pair, Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart. Wow, they really wanted Sir Patrick Stewart to be in a Disney movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, both of them were considered but, for this role of Frollo. That's awesome. I could imagine for sure Sir Patrick Stewart doing a badass. Why do we always want people with British accents to play like French people? I don't understand that. Don't worry about <laughs> it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Americans. Yeah. Quasimodo's like, let's, uh, I, I, I want to go to the festival and immediately like apologizes and there's this beautiful uh, you'll notice that a lot of the songs that happen in this movie are two-part songs Uh, one part is frollo and one part is quasimodo and a lot of them have kind of a a a two-part thing the the part with frollo is typically the negative part and the part with quasimodo is typically the good part so this song is consists of Frollo telling Quasimodo to stay in here. Stay in here. Yeah, and he's like calling him, he's saying, you are deformed, you are a monster. And so he, when he finally leaves, after the stay in here, Quasimodo goes on to sing the song out there because rather than being here he wants to be out there i mean how could he not when frollo describes the party as the dregs of humankind all in a shallow drunken stupor it sounds like tons of fun to me (laughs) well to be fair he's right like he 
should not have gone out there because he was severely attacked. So yeah, to be fair, Frollo was right, but not for but the right for like reasons. the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. So um, we see the same thing with the songs though, with Hellfire and Heaven's Light later on. Um, mm-hmm. That that kind of like two part thing with these songs is really interesting for me. Yeah, um, I agree. It's the very like opera style, and I like that. Yeah, it actually like reminds you a lot of another that another Victor Hugo opera, Les Mis, where like Valjean and fucking what's his name are like two sides of the same coin. They sing the same song, but just like backwards or whatever. Like they, like you it's mean, really interesting. You mean Javert? Javert, yes. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So he Quasimodo decides to sneak out with the help of his multiple personalities. And, and also his badass parkour. Yeah. Can we talk about how badass his, he is at parkour? Okay. <laughs> he's super Dude, badass at parkour. He, like he just like this, jumps in this movie. He's like basically a superhuman. He he has super strength. <laughs> he fucking can like he just like spins himself around like spires and then jumps down. He's like the most ridiculous version of like. Like, he's like Tarzan, except, like, way, 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 way cooler, because he doesn't have, like, vines. He has to, like, fall and land and then keep jumping. Well, and it's he, wild. He seems like he's stronger, too. Like, he, he... The guy, like, tears down stone pillars. Yeah, he not, literally not tears down stone pillars at the end. His, like, his hands. He's not even using his hands. He's just using his brute muscles. The guy is super strong. Hardcore uh, parkour. Yeah, hardcore parkour. He just is dominating in this movie. And so, yeah, he goes down. He, he somehow gets to the bottom and kind of works his way into the crowd. And he, I want you to, this is part two. I want you to imagine Quasimodo played by uh, Mr. Mandy Patinkin. Who? Mandy Patinkin uh, from Criminal Minds. Oh, really? Yep, he was originally cast as Quasimodo, and he even did some of the recording, and then, for whatever reason, he was replaced. Huh. Interesting. Was he much younger then? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah this... he would have been quite a bit younger. Interesting. That that would be very different. A very different sound. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's part two. Got one more to go. So, he gets down there, he, like, there's the whole other side scene with Phoebus and Esmeralda. Uh, Phoebus is a good guy. Coming into town, he like Phoebus cares about nice. people. Yeah, he's not actually just lusting after Esmeralda. And he, uh, one of the guys, the guy who Bill Fagerbakey, he is like, gypsies don't earn money; they steal it. And again, this is this is fuck off. <laughs> yeah, like this is a, a, a just representing how most of the people in France at this time think of these people and like they the just assuming the worst in them because of the color of their skin um, yeah this is not a good movie for police either we're like no. definitely uh we we are not like we're not supposed to like these police i you not you, you like phoebus <laughs> but uh you don't like anybody else yeah and even then phoebus in the book wasn't a good person so no the before even the Feast of Fools starts, though, we see this scene with Phoebus and Frollo in the towers of Notre Dame, and this bothered me a lot. And I've talked about it before when we watched this movie in Disney Movie Club, but the way this scene happens really bothers me, and not for the reasons that you'll think. It's not because he's calling he's calling these people ants. Or he's like, we have to exterminate them. That's part of it. That's certainly uh, it's fucked like, up. It's pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. But the the reason why this bothers me so much is a he's able to just rip a tile off of this thing off of the ledge, which couple couple hundred pounds, no big deal. Yeah, group. like he either he's super strong or it's not constructed well. So that bothers me. The other thing is that he puts it back on backwards, and it, it's not right, and I have a mild OCD, and watching this in the movie is 
not not good for people with OCD. <laughs> like that yeah, is what. Well, that's pretty... It's also wild that there's just, like, an ant colony living there. I guess that's why it's so easy to pry off, but, like, shit, Maybe. like... I don't know. <laughs> there's a whole fucking ant colony in there. Yeah, there's, like, a ton of ants. Like, this whole tower is just riddled with ants. <laughs> that's why you don't, like, you don't spill juice anywhere, because that's how you get ants. And then we get the, the fun... Topsy-turvy! Everything is topsy-turvy! Upside down! Yeah. I really enjoy, like, the costumes. Like, I want to go to this festival. It, like, looks like fun. It, yeah. It, it, like, I like the costumes of, like, the creative costumes where, pe- where like, the, the lobster is pushing the, the chef in a, in a pot. I think that's a nod to uh, our, our Little Mermaid scene uh, <laughs> a little bit there. I yeah. really, like, I just enjoy the, like, creative... Uh, sort of like costumes and stuff it's fun it's like a fun scene yeah well it is until things aren't fun anymore but he he does say like he he sings all these parts of the song and they kind of they pull him up onto the the front of the festival and they're like the the we need to crown the pope of fools the, the king of fools rather he's not the pope of fools but in in the story what this Feast of Fools is supposed to represent is it's topsy-turvy because for if only a day the lower class gets to feel like the higher class and they get to make fun of the Pope. And so it's it's their moment to feel like they aren't so low. And that's why it's topsy-turvy. Not because people are, are dressed funny or whatever. It's because the hierarchy is switched for a day. And so... He's crowned the Pope of Fools, or the King of Fools, sorry. He's crowned the King of Fools, and they... Can we go back real quick? Yeah. So, there's my, probably my favorite adult joke. It's not even that, like, it's it's pretty blatant, but it made me laugh extremely hard. When Frollo, when Esmeralda's dancing, her sexy dance, and Frollo says... Look at that disgusting display. And Phoebus says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was kind of funny. So Anyways, they king him. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> they, they make him the king of fools, and they, like, prop him up. He thinks that they are celebrating him. But in reality... And they are, at uh, first. They, they are the in the movie at least in the book it's not a celebration he thinks it's a celebration because he doesn't know any better yeah but really they're just making fun of him the entire time in the movie they are kind of celebrating him a little bit and then they it turns sour really fast because one of the policemen throws a tomato at him and things start turning from there and it was it was going it, it, it could have gone an entirely different way had one of them not thrown a rope around him because at that point they were forcing him to become a monster the he the way he he was escaping was he was tied down like a cattle and yeah forced to break out and look like a monster and i think that that's a, a turning point for him is he, he doesn't want to be this monster but this is what they see him as this is what he has to become in order to protect yeah. himself so Anyway, she, Esmeralda, gets up there and stops this all from happening. The crowd just goes silent when they see her. And she is much kinder in the movie. She's like, this poor creature, how could you people do this? There's a, this line is so great. You treat him the same way as my people, as you treat my people. You speak of justice, but are cruel to those most in need of your help. And Frollo yells, silence, and she yells back, justice! And it's so badass. She's Fixed like in the, the air. She's yelling, yeah. bad justice! Fuck yeah. That yeah. is like, that moment is like, uh, best moment in the movie. Yeah, a moment, a moment of like, serious defiance. Like, it's oh. literally like, it's just so powerful. Yeah. Um, and then she, after cutting him loose, and the the police start to go after her. She she she's part of this problem of perpetuating 
this myth that her people are witches that they they are they use dark magic yeah she she is perpetuating this so like with, yeah. with the the smoke and the cloak thing where she disappears it's it's definitely not helping you get the feeling that like because they have that like moniker or whatever that they are like that's how they make their money right like they like okay. since people expect that from them Fortune they tellers, do it for, like the tourists yeah. or whatever yeah that's I my think like, that's thought true. sure yeah i do um, like that the second that she is she gets away it suddenly turns really really cloudy it was like yeah. nice and bright and then it gets very cloudy and starts raining well it's like a fun scene for a second where like the escape scene is kind of fun and like like ha 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 that guy just escaped for a second and yelled, "I'm free! I'm free!" And then he was trapped again. <laughs> like it's like a chill, like a, like a very like like a light moment in this very dark scene, and then it goes right straight back to dark. Yeah. So she escapes and claims sanctuary, but before she does, Phoebus finds her in the church, and there's this really funny thing that he says. He's like, "Candlelight music, no better place for hand-to-hand combat." Uh, <laughs> And then she he's says, like, "Sneaky son of a, watch it, we're in a church." <laughs> he's like, "I didn't realize you have a kid." Because there's a lot of really good moments in this scene. Yeah, like this is a really um, funny scene. I guess because Kevin Klein is really funny too. My uh, very favorite line is when he's like, "I'm Phoebus." It means sun, sun god. god, and everybody just kind of like looks at each other. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think I laughed harder in that moment than any other part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the one thing that I will say about this movie is I wish that there was even one song where Kevin Klein was able to sing. Because for those of you that don't know, Kevin Klein was also in Pirates of Penzance, another opera, or a, kind yep. of a more modern opera. And so he was in Pirates of Penzance. And he was, he's a really good singer. Like, I would have loved to hear him sing in this movie. But. We never got the chance to hear that. So, that's, I mean, it's okay, but it would have been nice. Yeah. Then, Frollo comes in, he does the creepy hair sniff. God, um, it's so gross. It's super creepy. And then she goes on to sing God Help the Outcast. This is God help the outcast. such a beautiful song. It, it really, it's a, it's a beautiful song. Bette Midler would go on later to, to do another version of this song where she would change out the word gypsy for the word humble. And she, mm. it, it, it really is a song about her people. Like, why why won't God help her people? And it's, it's a yeah. sad song. Like, it really is. She goes on to see Quasimodo and she chases him up the bell tower and they make friends. She, like, reads his palm, and she's like, I don't see any monster lines here. <laughs> Give her some slack and reel her in. Give her some slack and reel her in. Yeah. I, uh, Quasi shows her the, <laughs> the crib, and yeah. It's, like, a good moment. Like, yeah. Quasi's like, yeah. Got yeah. a girl in my room. <laughs> <laughs> she says something like, Frollo's wrong about both of us. And yeah. Lover, or Hugo's like, Frollo's nose is long, and he wears a truss. Ha! Pay up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought that one that's was a funny. good moment. Yeah. So anyway, then Phoebus, so, yeah. like, so she, they escape, right? She, he, he helps her escape with her his super badass parkour, just climbing down the fucking like three hundred feet, six hundred feet. I don't know how tall buildings are, man. Super high. <laughs> yeah, it is. Real, real tall. He just climbs down it, like, and he just sort of swings down. He's not, like, <laughs> slowly climbing. He's just like, la, la, la. Very chill. Uh, <laughs> this next scene is my my vote for the, like, sexual tension moment when Phoebus and Quasimodo have this, like, confrontation. And, like, Quasimodo's holding Phoebus right up to him. Like, the whole time, I'm just like, just kiss! Just kiss! <laughs> like, there's this, like, beautiful moment. They're, like, staring into each other's eyes. Oh, I have a bigger penis than you. No, I have a bu- bigger penis. Oh, such a good moment. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, like, holding him in the air. It's pretty Swept amazing. Swept him off his feet. Swept him off his feet! <laughs> I did not get that. But 
<laughs> if that's how you want to take this scene, then by all means. We go on to the song Heaven's Light, and he's basically saying that he's in love with Esmeralda, and he thought that a monster like him was never meant for Heaven's Light. In other words, he was never meant to love. So, But now he's able to, because Esmeralda might love him back. And then on the other side of this is the song Hellfire, which is my favorite song of this movie. And not because of the message that it sends or the themes. It's because of the musicality of this song and what it means for the rest of the movie. So... Um, this movie turns real fucking dark real quick it, here. It really... This this song changes the movie. From, from this point on, it is about a desperate need to find Esmeralda for his own purposes. And so, like, in this song... To so the point of, like, murder and, like... Yeah. Yeah. In this song, it starts out with Kyrie Eleison, with, like, uh, Lamb of God, uh, Beata Maria, the Hail Marys. Like, it, it, it is a church setting. Which it's like this false religiousness set up, right? Like, right. I'm like it's the fake Christianity that he is like a purveyor of, which sure. is also like the like in the movie he's the arch or in the book he's the archdeacon, so it makes right. sense, right? So it, it is it is a certain amount of religiosity that he is portraying, but he he yeah. is he's faithful. He does believe that what he's doing is right by by God's standards. He's he's saying, protect me, Maria. I'm I'm so much better than all of these other people. So why then am I lusting after this woman? Why, why then does she have power over me? Yeah. It, and it's because it's not my fault not my if fault. in God's plan he made the devil so much stronger than a man. The devil's so much stronger than a man! And honestly, this scene is so beautiful to me. It, it it is, it's so dramatic and terrifying. You would have a hard time seeing anything like this in another Disney movie. There's honestly, not a scene like this. There really yeah. isn't. And 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 he he's dealing with this like wide court of clergymen uh, in these long robes that are like telling. Uh, they're they're singing in Latin to him like. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Like, he, he, he is surrounded by these these people saying, God doesn't want you to do this. You, you can't be this. And he's like, Maria She either, will be mine or yeah. she will burn. Yeah, Maria, either Ugh. kill her or let her be mine, or mine and mine alone. And so it is very much a turning point for him where he's like, either going to it it's it's a crossroads either he can be faithful and let this go or he can turn to sin and embrace the fire and have her embrace his own selfish needs yeah. uh, his desires and so there's this irony of sexual desire from a clergyman an archdeacon that it, he's supposed to be chaste. He's supposed to be purer than everyone else. And yet, when these sexual desires hit him, it hits him in such a way that he loses his faith. There, there's a certain irony about that, I think. It's wild. Yeah. So, yeah. So they he, upturn all of Paris for, like, looking for, for Esmeralda. They, like, <laughs> find lots of, like, hidden Roma. They find, and they are, like, uh, basically throwing them all in jail. And, and uh, at one point... Again, this is another, like... It feels very representative of World War II, like finding Jews in these hidden places, in these homes where they're in hiding. It feels somewhat the same, him overturning the city to find one person, but it still feels like that's what they're trying to, to express. Yeah, it's very like it's a very much persecution sort of story, yes. Yes. I agree. Uh, there, I, there was one joke that I wanted to call back on, and then we'll, we'll get back to it. But he said, Phoebus was like, you you look pretty bad. Are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I had some trouble with the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. And so, yeah. They're, and they're, Phoebus is like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they burn down Paris, and he's for, like, for, offering 
them. Froyo tells Phoebus to kill Frollo, innocent not folk. Frozen yogurt, Tony. Froyo Frollo. tells Phoebus to kill innocent folk. I'm calling him Froyo now, from now on. Okay. The other thing is he's offering money to the, the Roma. He's offering them pieces of silver to, to turn mm-hmm. over Esmeralda. And every time none of them take it, he says lock them up. But in the book, he has all of these people hanged. Yeah. So, like, he's killing a lot of people trying to find one woman. And yeah. burning down burning down the majority of the city. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he asks Phoebus to burn down this house. Phoebus says no, and this... Gets sentenced to death. Yeah, Frollo, when Frollo burns down the house instead, it catches fire so freaking fast. I don't know how it caught fire so fast. But he basically just lit one piece on fire, and then suddenly the entire thing was on fire. He just, like, held the torch up, and the whole thing was on fire. He, like, yeah. didn't even, like, wait for it to catch, <laughs> really. Like... Yeah. Like, fires are dangerous, and probably more dangerous if your house is made out of wood, but, like, yeah, and, not and that crazy dangerous. I think, <laughs> I think the moral of the story is that windmills are very flammable. Windmills especially flammable. Yeah. Maybe the moral of the story is, if somebody is burning down other people's houses, don't throw lighter fluid on your house before they get there. Yeah. Just in general. Avoid throwing lighter fluid on your house to begin with. Just in case, you know, you never know. Yeah, like, uh, I know you want to float for a lighter <laughs> fluid on your house, but like, just don't. Just, just don't. It's not a good idea. It never works out. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, he he sentences Phoebus to death. Phoebus gets away and is shot, falls in the water, and should have died. Somehow, Esmeralda manages to get a large friend to carry him all the way to Notre Dame without dying. Or and, being seen, or, or caught. being seen. Yeah, there, there's a lot of discrepancies about how he got here. But he, Quasimodo, like sees them kiss. He sees that they're in love, and he realizes that she doesn't have the feelings that he has. And he's like, "This is right after they had the like, the like a guy like you song, where like, yeah, he's being like, you know, he's being propped up in his own mind to like feel to like somebody. she likes him." Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it is. It's a really sad scene. He's, and I think the the thing that makes it funny for me, and it's not funny that he's like sad, but it's funny that he's like standing three feet away, just like holding on to this this pillar and like watching and crying and like having having a breakdown three feet away. And while they're making out. <laughs> while they're making out. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Uh, yeah, it's a little weird. Like, dude, like, maybe <laughs> just, like, walk a few feet away. <laughs> yeah. I I think that in real life they would have been like, you you good, dude? Why? What's up? <laughs> the sun god also has this really, like, great cheesy line where she says, that arrow almost pierced your heart. And he says... I'm not so it sure it didn't. Oh, snap! <laughs> it's on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, she she leaves, Frollo comes in and brings grapes, and yeah. he... Quasimodo kicks him hard in yeah, the head to make him be him quiet, face. which is really great. <laughs> um, Kills the sun god. <laughs> he kicks him in the face, they go about the business, and Frollo totally knows what's going on at this point well he doesn't know that like phoebus is under his no, kitchen table he doesn't like... <laughs> know that but he knows that quasimodo has been in contact with esmeralda and that if he says i know where she's at and i'm going there that uh, quasimodo will try to warn her and so yeah he's gonna follow them he's yeah. just gonna follow like i we we know this based on the way he's acting quasimodo yep. doesn't know this because he doesn't understand social cues but it's it's obvious to me that this was Frollo's plan. Yeah. So Frollo finally leaves, and we have this kind of buddy cop movie thing going on with Phoebus and Quasimodo. And yeah. first of all, props to Phoebus, because he was totally just unconscious, and now he's off <laughs> running and doing things. Just got a, a strong <laughs> foot to the face from a guy who literally just jumps up and down 
a fucking building all day. Yeah. <laughs> and just comes straight to, and it's like, I have to go save thousands of people. I'm not going to let them all die. Yeah. It's really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so we got this, like, cool buddy cop thing going on, though, where, like, uh, he shows, Quasimodo shows him the, the necklace, and he's like, I know what I'm talking about. You know what you're talking about. I, I, trust me, I know no, what I'm talking about. Go ahead, it. and they go, two. <laughs> That's that's good. It was awful, but we tried. And, yeah, <laughs> and I thought it was really funny. I I like. I want to see a full buddy cop movie with these two. Man, they stumble onto the court of miracles and they make their way down the thing. They go and it's not booby trapped or anything. And suddenly there's an ambush. And an ambush. They are taken up to be strung up. And Kilpan yep. is singing his song about the Court of Miracles. And this is part three, Tony. Uh-oh. Part three of my what-if game. Is it Clopine? It is. Uh, so, he, he was going to be played by... No. Okay. I promise you won't get this one. Go ahead and take a guess, but you're not going to get it. Sean Connery. No. Harrison Ford. Not at all, Tony. You're wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, this uh, this role was originally set to be played by Eric Idle. He's one uh, one of the actors from Monty Python. Huh. Yeah, oh, that would be kind of funny. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a. It, uh, I, a if Pythoner. you looked up Eric Idle on Google, you would know immediately who I was talking about. Uh, okay. Yeah. So Eric Idle could have been Clopin. He's super funny. Like, I, w- I would have been satisfied if he had played this role. I don't think he can sing. Oh, no, I guess he can, because he sang Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. I guess he does sing. Man, they really were going to hit hard, this, like, whole British cast. That yeah. was, like, going to be a thing. I would have loved it. Mandy Patinkin's not British, but whatever. Whatever. <laughs> like, it still would have been a good movie. Is this the Court of Miracles or the Court of Ankle Deep Sewage? Yeah. Anyway. so frollo catches them convicts her of witchcraft there's this like scene where he's like hey baby so do you want to be uh burned at the stake or you want to come back home to me and you're like man frollo really has got the pickup lines but this time it doesn't work she throws the drink uh in in his face uh slash spits in his face it's real gross Yeah. yeah and then quasimodo swings down from his super long rope this rope, rope is not long enough, Josh. His, his rope magically extends 800 feet. It's the longest <laughs> rope. It literally would not work. Like, number one, there's like a lot of problems here. So there's no way on earth that this rope is long enough to get there. There's just like not. It, like he has a coil of like three coils of rope in his hand. Yeah. Uh, number two, rope is not going to be able to swing and hold all of the weight. Well, I don't know. Especially I don't know because that he didn't even really—he didn't tie a knot. He just sort of wrapped. He just it. like kind of lays the rope <laughs> on the on the gargoyle and and flies. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, a lot of problems. I also have problems. I'm pretty sure the chain would have broke before the like sturdy. Well, we did the, see the some of the chains up. break. Some of huh? the chains did break. Okay. Well, then if the chains break, then they they should release the tension enough so that the columns don't have to break. Uh, whatever, man. He, he's super <laughs> fucking strong. We get the idea. He's really strong. Uh, and then he swings down on a super long rope, saves Esmeralda, his, and his magic sanctuary. Rope. Um, sanctuary! He, he performs we, a whole lot of murder. He's throwing a hot lot of lava. People. Fucking um, hot lava coming out the asshole. <laughs> yeah, so much hot lava, a lake of fire. And he is like killing people on these like uh ladders he's just like knocking them down one of the the grotesques throws down a brick and kills one of those guys uh, yeah no they definitely they're just murdering they're <laughs> murdering murder. so many people the uh, sun god starts a revolt against frollo he's like froyo he, he's like he's like they they've they've held us down too long let's kill him and so the, now the people are also murdering the the cops and uh, and trying to get to the the church. Yeah, there's a really funny Wizard of Oz reference with Laverne. Fly, um, my pretties, fly, <laughs> fly. And then 
after he thinks that he's won. Little dog, too. As after he thinks that he's won, Quasimodo goes to check on Esmeralda, and he thinks that she's dead because he doesn't she know is any dead. better. And he's like holding her in this embrace, much like in the book when he's holding her dead body until he dies. But Frollo comes in and like tries to stab him in the back. There's this whole thing. He throws him over the edge, and Frollo sees in this gargoyle's face his fate. He he basically this falling gargoyle he sees like fire coming out of its mouth and it, it's it's there's this great line it says it what like he says because he thinks that he's going to to be the victorious vic, uh, victorious one he says and he shall smite the wicked and plunge them into a fiery pit and then he gets smote and plunged into a fiery pit smote smitten definitely smote smate Smeet? I think so. Uh, Froyo gets smote and plunged into a fiery pit where he melts into regular yogurt. He, he gets sm- smitten. <laughs> but unfortunately, he has to. He falls to his death as well. Quasimodo does, except that Phoebus at the last second saves him, which is also impossible. Like physically, Phoebus also the sun god also has to be wicked strong in yep. order to like. Catch somebody who like <laughs> a two hundred and fifty pound man just flinging down, falling from at several stories velocity. up. Yeah, <sighs> dude would have been man. dead. Actually, yeah, this is wild. They Phoebus, both died for sure. Honestly, yeah, Phoebus probably would have fallen with him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they both died just now. It was awful. No, Phoebus goes on to marry Fleur de Lis and live a very un- unhappy life. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's this like weird scene that I really hate where. Quasimodo puts Phoebus's hands and Esmeralda's hands together, and he's like, I want you guys to be together, because I know that you don't want me, Phoebus, even though I really love you. <sighs> well, he knows he's not going to win. It's just a matter of... Yeah. He, he wants her to be happy, and he's now friends with Phoebus, so he wants him to be happy. And if that means sacrificing his own happiness, then he's willing to do that. It's awful. I just wanted... You know he's like, not going to get the girl. He's he's her knight in shining army. Our armor. Phoebus is her knight in shining armor. And so he's obviously not going to win. This is like a movie about how if you are ugly, you aren't going to get a girl? Like, what? Yep. Damn right. It's pretty awful. <laughs> this he, is awful. And it, well, he does kind of get what he wants, though. Like... At the end of the movie, he goes out into the courtyard, and people, the kid hugs him, and all these people are, like, cheering for him. He gets what he wants. He gets to be out there. He gets to have people adore him in the way that he's adored them for so long. He gets to be part of the community. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it's not about finding love as much as being embraced. It would be so much better for him to have been part of a polygamous relationship with... With the two of them. Esmeralda and the <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> sure. I think that would have been fine. So, yeah, he gets hoisted off, and we hear the reprise of Bells of Notre Dame. And end of movie. It is a beautiful movie. It's so freaking good. I love this movie Wait, so much. Josh, is it reprise or repi- reprise? Reprise. Is it really? Yeah. I've always said it wrong. God, think, I'm fucking dumb. I think dumb. it's fine either way. I mean, you are fucking dumb, but I think... That it's fine either way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Cool. Reprise is the way, for sure, then. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's reprise, but you can call it reprise. Okay. <laughs> well, we did this movie, man. It, it's pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot. I, yeah. like, this is a dark movie. It's a tough movie to watch. Like, it oh, yeah. doesn't really have a happy ending to me. Like, I feel like it sort of has a sad ending. I mean, it, it but, is a, a sad dark movie but i think it could have been a lot darker had they stayed a little bit truer to the book i they couldn't have gotten darker <laughs> than this like uh, like as a disney movie they really like they they pushed it to the limit i think at the I time think so. for sure yeah. i think so. um but yeah fuck yeah this is a great film uh, yeah uh, if nothing else for the music guys the the music in this movie is so phenomenal i i just love this movie so much so real fast we want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. We do have the Facebook page. Find us there at Front Porch Disney. 
we encourage you guys to like, comment, share, follow us on Facebook. If Fuck you, yeah. Yeah, join in the conversation, comment, leave, give us a message, all that stuff. We'd be happy to hear from you. As Tony said last week, we want to start encouraging you guys to, to get involved in the conversation because we want to start pulling other people in to have episodes with us as guests. We are also on Twitter at Front Porch Disney. I'm at Front Porch Josh. I'm at Front Porch Tony. And follow us there. We're happy to continue the conversation going there as well. Also use the hashtag Front Porch Talks to enter into a contest for some free stuff. And also on Facebook, if you use comment there, we'll include you in that contest. The other thing is that we will be, if you have like additional things to say about previous episodes or this episode, things that you wanted to expand on, or thoughts on the things that we talked about, do it through Twitter, do it through Facebook, and we'll talk about it on the show. Lastly, follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud to search On the Front Porch with us, and tell a friend. You know, we, we're really thankful for what you guys have done so far, and we've had a lot of downloads recently, actually, especially with these last few episodes that have really knocked it out of the park. Pete's Dragon, Zootopia, Little Mermaid. I think this one's going to be up there as well with knocking it out of the park, but... And for those of you guys that have been downloading all the episodes, we appreciate that. But by all means, tell a friend, get them to listen to us as well, leave a review, because we don't do any advertising except through word of mouth. So everything you guys can do really helps out. Yep, absolutely. So with that, Tony, what are we watching next week? So next week we're going to be watching Mulan. And we'll be talking with a friend of ours from the Disney Movie Club as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So be sure to tune into that. And, Tony, do we have anything else? Am I missing anything? No? Cool. I don't think so. Well, then sing us out. All right. Like fire, hellfire. Is that it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>